0: Quiet, please. Quiet, please.
1: Fully Mara Studios presents Quiet, Please, which is written by Willis Cooper, directed by Chuck and Megan Mara, and features Kat Hammonds. Quiet, Please for tonight is called Camera Obscura.
0: I don't suppose you ever killed anybody, did you? I didn't think you had. Funny though, you can't tell, you know. Murderers very seldom look like murderers and there's lots more of them around than you have any idea. I know a fella, little squinched up wizened gizmo. He's a carpenter, lives on Veranda Street down in LA. Murdered his wife's brother in 1928 and nobody ever had the faintest idea, except the wife's brother. And the guy's doing fine. Thinks he got away with it. Yeah. He'll find out. Like that woman in Alameda that killed her husband with that stuff you can buy at any drugstore and never have a clerk raise an eyebrow at you. No, nah, There's no such thing as getting away with murder, friend. Believe me. And for my money? Walking up the 13 steps and standing on a trapdoor with nine turns of a hangman's knot rubbing against your left ear? Or sitting in a chair smelling burnt almonds with a lot of scared faces staring at you through a little window. Or or even the hotspot itself. Believe me, any of those legit ways of paying off for murder is pie compared to what you're going to get if you let it ride. You're, You're sure you never killed anybody, huh? Well, you better be. I know. Believe me, I know. I killed Philip D. Vandervoort on September 29th, 1928. I was never arrested. I was never suspected. But, uh, no, I'm not going to tell you how I killed him. I'm not running a school for murderers. And anyway, if you're planning on murdering somebody, you've got your own ideas on how you want to do it. The only thing is, I'll bet you a quarter. When you get done listening to me, you'll change your mind. You see, the man said he was going to call my story camera obscura. I suppose maybe that puzzles you a little bit. Not everybody knows what a camera obscura is. Practically everybody here in Santa Monica knows. Biggest camera obscura in the world's right here, down at the foot of Santa Monica Boulevard in the little park that runs along the top of Palisades. It's a little green building, probably 20 feet high, practically circular, maybe 20 feet in diameter. Up in the top, in a little kind of cupola, is a lens. Like a camera lens, only bigger. There's some kind of mirror arrangement in there with it, and there's a big round table that almost fills the building, white top on it. And the image the lens picks up is reflected down onto the table, so it's uh, like a Technicolor movie of whatever's going on outside. There's a wheel, like a ship steering wheel that you turn, to, uh, turn the lens with, it, turn it around, so you can point it out towards the bay or up the street or anywhere. Yeah, it's a cute little gizmo. Tourists have been getting a kick out of it for I don't know how many years. Ask anybody that's ever been in Santa Monica, everybody's seen it, and an awful lot of people have been in it. That's the Camera Obscura, a harmless little green building in the park in the sunshine, and black as a black as a murderer's heart inside. And a miniature world lying flat on a table in there. Go see it sometime. You'll get a bang out of it, too. Even if you don't see what I saw. There was this girl that worked in Llewellyn's restaurant next door to Harry Cowan's bargain store where I worked. Now, I've forgotten her name. Kate or Mary or Joanne or something. Just to show you. That morning, I went next door for a cup of what Llewellyn claims is coffee. Nobody in there but this girl, this waitress, Mary or Kate or whatever her name was. She'd been crying. I said, what's the matter with you, kid? Nothing. Give me a cup of coffee. What's the matter, kid?
1: Oh, nothing. Cy, you seen Phil Vanderfort the last couple days?
0: I looked at her. And the tears started out of her eyes again, and I said, and I was telling the truth. I said, not since night before last. Why? I said. Where'd you see him? Why, down at the P.E. station, down the streets. The matter? Did he run out on
1: you? Sai, how did you know?
0: What do you mean?
1: Did he? He's gone. You sure? I knew it. I knew it when I gave him the money. I knew it knew it. What did you do? Did you give him money? Oh, I don't tell anybody, will you please? Don't. Well, I won't, but- He said he needed $200 to pay a man for something. The banks were closed and he couldn't get any money and he needed it so bad. You
0: mean you gave him 200 bucks?
1: I borrowed it from Llewellyn. I told him I'd give it back to him in the morning. I had $240 I'd saved up. And <laughs> so I, what am I going to do?
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute, I said. So this is where the money came from. Well, wait a minute, I said. You mean you borrowed 200 bucks from Llewellyn to give to Phil, and now he's gone? And you've got to dig it yourself? Saved. And saved and saved, Sai, I know it. Well, ain't that fine? Ain't that fine? How come you did it? Couldn't you have borrowed it from somebody else, for gosh sakes?
1: He... he... We was gonna get married. Well, you sap.
0: 200 bucks, you sap. I know it.
1: I know it. What am I gonna do?
0: Hmm. I guess pay up. You, uh, said anything to the police?
1: Oh, no. Going to? I don't know. Should I? No. No, I can't. Why not? Oh, I don't... I don't know if he really ran out on me, but... You were gonna marry him, huh? He asked me to. Yeah, well... Oh, Sai, don't say anything about it to anybody. Will ya? No,
0: no, I won't say anything. Please? I won't say anything. If he's really gone? Mmm, he's gone all right. What should I do? Well, you could go to the cops if you want to, but... But if I was you? Well, you'd get an awful lot of publicity, you know. That worth 200 bucks to you? I know it. I I don't know what to do. Well, I gotta beat it. Harry will be screaming for me.
1: Here, you got change for a $10 bill? Yeah, I guess so. Out of ten, fifty, two, three, four, five, and... Five is ten.
0: See what I mean? She didn't have the faintest idea that that was one of the ten dollar bills she gave to Phil Vandervoort a couple of nights ago. Isn't it amazing? I should have thought she'd noticed how wrinkled and damp the bill was from the seawater. Well, you see, I didn't think about going through his pockets till after I took him out there under Santa Monica Pier and fastened him to one of the pilings down deep. It was a good place, I thought. Nobody ever goes out there. Nobody but the barracuda and the flat, ugly stingrays with those rows of teeth like white needles. Kind of left the camera obscure sitting out there on the palisades all by itself, didn't we? Yeah, we'll get back there. I'll say we will. It was funny about Phil van Der He was one of those fellas you see around town, you never get to know him. But you see him. He's like a bus stop sign or one of the kids that sells the Outlook in the express on the corner across the street from the California bank. You know he's there. And you never notice him. Never notice when he disappears either. It's like that with California. Quite a lot. So Philip D. Vandervoort sort of faded out. And practically the only people in Santa Monica that thought about him was me and the Babe and Llewellyn's restaurant. And she didn't know I thought about him at all. Funny how a girl is. She never brought up the subject of Phil. I was the one that talked about him, and she, well, I guess she had been in love with him. There's something about being in a setup like this, uh, game, kinda, playing it right up to the edge saying things that'd give you away if she'd had the slightest inkling. Oh, a great cake. Yeah, a great cake. I remember one afternoon. I had Wednesday afternoons off, and that day I stopped in the restaurant, and she was pitting on her hat. Llewellyn had told her business was slack that day and she could have the half day. So instead of eating a piece of pie, I said, come on, let's take a walk. Thought maybe we'd go down to the beach and take one of the trams over to Winchell Park and play tango, eat a couple of hot dogs. So we started down Broadway and I said, Hey, you ever been in that camera obscura over there? No, have you? No. Let's go see what it is. Okay. It was one of those afternoons when the sun was still shining bright. There was a big bank of fog sitting offshore a few miles, sort of sneaking in to take over. Those afternoon clouds in Santa Monica are a thing. They slide in, and all of a sudden, there's like a great big damp gray seagull sitting down on top of you. So I figured the fog would be in in another hour. The beachfront is pretty dreary when that happens, so maybe we'd kill a little time in this gizmo, then walk on over to the Criterion and see the Rough Riders. That's what was playing then, the Rough Riders. There isn't anybody around the camera obscura when we climb up the steps. No tourists, Nobody just the girl and me, whatever her name was. Wind door bangs behind us. I didn't know a place could be so dark. Well, we stood there and looked at the white top table and the moving picture of Santa Monica on it. I have to admit it's quite a kick the first time you see it. But I hadn't seen anything yet. I twisted the wheel around. The picture slid across the tabletop, and there were the breakers rolling in. There was La Monica Ballroom and the merry-go-round on the pier. People fishing and people walking around, and. I thought about what was under that pier. If it was still there. And then a man walked by real close, and he almost filled the whole picture. He turned, and he seemed to look right at us. Up off that tabletop. Look! And there he was, staring right at me and kind of smiling. And right behind him in the picture was the pier I'd lashed him under. And he stood there. She fumbled at the door and threw it open. And the light flooded over the picture, and he was gone. Yes, and when I went outside, he was gone from there too.
1: But we saw him, Sai. We both saw him.
0: I don't know. I couldn't tell her it was
1: impossible
0: for Phil Vandervoort to stand outside the camera obscura that afternoon, could I? I had to go along with her. I had to say, sure, you'll see him again. Sure, you'll get your $200 back. Sure, he'll show up again. Every time I said it, I got that chilly, cold seaweed feeling between my shoulder blades. <sighs> should have had since then and gone up to Clarence Webb's office and turned myself in and said, Clarence, I murdered Phil Vandervoort and you'll find him tied to a piling under the pier out there just the other side of the dance hall. I should have done that. All he'd have done was send me up to Folsom, put a black cap on me. No, I had to do it the hard way. I had to get away with murder. had the hunch and I didn't play it. I wish I had, that's all. Let's go over to the Camera Obscura again, Sai. I didn't want to go to the Camera Obscura again. I didn't want to go in there in the dark. I didn't want to see that picture. I didn't want to see Phil Vandervoort. This afternoon, the fog was already coming in. You couldn't see the end of the pier, and as you looked out toward the bay, that white wall kept easing in closer and closer. And I had the feeling that when it got to me, I'd disappear too. Right in broad daylight you get that feeling. It was warm in the camera obscura from sunshine that had been beating down on it all that one morning. Look at the fog. Look, sigh. And the fog in the picture swirled aside a little. There was somebody coming toward us. I had the illusion that he was actually coming toward us, right out of the picture. And then the fog blew away a little more from
1: his face. It's Phil, look, Sigh! It's Phil! I knew we'd see him again! Phil! Phil! And she
0: ran out of the place, and the door slammed shut. I was all alone in there. She ran down the steps, and I could see her in the picture, and Phil came walking steadily toward me. And then I could see her in the picture as she ran toward him outside there, and I could hear her calling outside. Then she ran toward him in the picture and I could see them both just as plain as I see you. And she ran straight through him as if he were part of the fog himself and he kept on coming closer toward me. Closer and closer. I don't know how I got out of there. I honestly don't know. I remember I couldn't find the door in the dark, and when I finally did get out, my hands were all full of splinters from pounding on the walls, and there was a gash over my eye where I fell down the stairs, and I've never been so scared in my life. (laughs) I mean to say, I had never been so scared in my life. You see, something shook me as I opened the door. Something caught my ankle and threw me, No, it wasn't Phil Vandervoort's hand, as you're probably thinking. It was a long strand of wet seaweed. The kind that gets all tangled around the pilings under the pier.
1: Let's go over to the camera obscura.
0: I said, I'll never go to that place again. I will never... Go
1: to that place again. I'm going anyway. If you don't want to go, I'm going. I said, don't go. Don't go. It's foolish to go to that place. There's some reason why Phil's hanging around that place, and I want to go there. I thought I know why. I know why he's hanging around there. No, I won't go to the movies with you. I'm going over to the camera, Obscura, whether you want to go or not. And I knew I had to go. I said to
0: myself, if you let that girl go over there by herself, she'll see him again. And what'll she find out? I said to myself, you gotta go with her so you... You can keep her from finding out whatever she might find out. And I said, well, all right. I'll go just this one time. There wasn't any fog this time. It was a beautiful, bright day. It was just the two of us. Or I should say the three of us. Yeah, we saw him again. This time was the payoff, as far as she was concerned. Oh, I'll tell you about it. There wasn't anything wrong with the picture, as long as we had the lens aimed toward town. She turned the wheel slowly. The picture flowed past on the table. Up northward, toward the Miramar Hotel, down Ocean Boulevard, with the palm trees in front of the little real estate offices. And then we were looking up Broadway, and I could see Harry Cowan walking out of the store into Llewellyn's. And the gas station came into view. We looked down Ocean Boulevard the other way, and then the rustic fence at the edge of the palisades, and the spires of the dance hall on the pier swam across the board. And there was Phil, leaning against a palm tree, not twenty feet away it seemed.
1: There he is.
0: And just as if he'd heard her, he looked up at us and, and grinned. He lifted his hand and beckoned. Again, I had that curious feeling that he was real. He was three-dimensional there in the picture. And she opened the door and went out.
1: But she came right back in. Cy, there's nobody there.
0: I could have told her I knew that.
1: There's nobody out there. There he was on the
0: table, grinning at us. And he said something. I could see his lips move. What'd he say? I didn't hear anything. I'm going to look again. And the little figure in the picture smiled again. And he raised his hand and pointed straight at me and I could see his lips move again. He said, Murderer.
1: Sigh. I'm scared.
0: There isn't anybody there. And the little figure in the picture smiled again. And he raised his hand and pointed straight at me and I could see his lips move again. <gasps> and I knew she had read his lips too. He said it again. Murderer. Stop
1: that. I saw what he said. I saw it. Now I know, now I know why we can't see him out there. He's haunting you. You killed him. You killed...
0: Well, what else could I do? She knew, and she'd tell and I'd hang. I can't even remember her name. There's quite a bit of space under the table in there, and it's dark in there, I said. After a little while, I opened the door and looked out. Very casually. Everything seemed to be normal. I saw Bobby Clark, the motor cop, go by on his bike. Harry Cowan was walking back into the store. Nobody was looking at me. I was about to start down the stairs when a sudden thought struck me. I hadn't looked at the tabletop at the picture. I closed the door and turned around. Phil was still there in the picture. And there, beside him under the palm tree, was the girl. Not much left to the story, though. Oh, I should have gone then and confessed. It would have been easier. But, well, I knew nobody'd ever find Phil. And I didn't want anybody to find her. They locked the place up at night, but the door came open easy. I didn't bring any light. It was three o'clock in the morning, and the fog was hanging from the sky like a wet velvet curtain. You couldn't see a street light a block away. I went in. I fumbled around under the table where I'd left her. She wasn't there. I found paper matches, finally. She wasn't there. You, you think you know what terror is? Well, don't let me tell you. I stood up at last and the night was so still I could hear the foghorn from way up toward Point Doom. The fog, as I told you, was thick as... Well... I glanced at the table. There they were. The two of them. And there wasn't any fog in the picture, I couldn't mistake them. Phil and the girl. And together they raised their hands and they beckoned to me. I knew I couldn't move. But I opened the door. I went down the steps into the fog. There was just one tiny spark of hope in the back of my mind, just one tiny spark. I knew they wouldn't be there, but they were. And they turned and started away. And I followed them through the fog, down past the suburban station, down the hill to the pier, then across the boardwalk, down across that clinging, sticky, wet sand, and the fog running its fingers through my hair. And under the pier, with the wet, spongy piling making hell's own high forest around me? The smell of dead things cast up from the sea? And the waves reaching for me? They went on. And I followed. And the waves beat at my knees. And the undertow clutched at my waist. And I followed. And then I felt my breath being snatched from me. There was a long horror of seaweed across my face and darkness and the taste of, of salt. The title of today's Quiet Please story is Camera Obscura. It was written by Willis
1: Cooper, directed by Chuck and Megan Mara, And the woman who spoke to you was Kat Hammonds.
0: And Rebecca Shabow played the girl. This episode of Quiet, Please! was originally broadcast on October thirteenth, 1947 by the Mutual Broadcast System. Now for a word about next week, Chuck Mara.
1: Next week I have a story for you called The Room Where Ghosts Live. That is, if ghosts do live.
0: Maybe we'll find out next week. And so, until next week at this same time, I'm quietly yours, Kat Hammonds. Quiet, Please! comes to you from Los Angeles and is produced by Foley
1: Maris Studios.